This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we are going to be discussing the recent rash of mass shootings that have occurred in the United States. And you might be a little bit surprised at the timing of this podcast, because obviously the, that rash of shootings occurred, you know, several weeks ago from, from the time that you're typically going to be listening to this. If you're listening to this on time, we had the Gilroy, California shooting. We had the shooting in El Paso, Texas and Dayton, Ohio, and pretty much Chicago every weekend. But everybody wanted to give their take immediately. If not on the Saturday of that shooting or the Sunday of that shooting on the Monday after the, you know, the first, you know, full day of the news cycle, they wanted to kind of give you, you know, their opinion and they wanted to give it to you as fervently and defensively as possible and whatever the thing might be. But for me, I I made a very conscious decision that I wanted everything to calm down, including myself before addressing this issue. Okay. Because again, it's one of those things that when this comes up, it becomes very, incendiary for a while and then it kind of fades away and then invariably it comes back right um but for today's podcast what this isn't going to be is this isn't going to be guns and the reality of evil part two so if you go back to episode 10 of this podcast okay so very early on in this podcast i addressed this this was after a shooting at a school in florida so i kind of broke that I broke a lot of things down in that. So I went into some of the arguments that pro-gun people and anti-gun people make and how they're wrong. I went into some of my personal opinions. I went into a lot of different areas. And so some of that stuff I'm going to rehash. But to be honest with you, I just listened to that episode. I re-listened to it about a week ago and I co-sign everything. Like everything that I said, there's not a single thing on there that I would change. There was one time I think I misspoke. I said something like a, a class three license is what you need to get an automatic weapon. But the, the more specific way of referring to it would be, you know, a class three special occupational tax, you know, that kind of thing, the tax stamp type of a deal. And so that would be the only thing I would change, which is I'd make it more clear what exactly I was talking about. But still, I co-sign everything there. But what's funny about this podcast and my preparation, and, and for you guys, you don't really know one way or the other, but for most of the podcasts, I do put quite a bit of effort into preparing myself before the podcast, right? Uh, there are some podcasts that I just get ready and go. I, I put myself three or four bullet points down on a piece of paper, and then I just flow for 45 minutes. And then others, I'll spend several hours researching and kind of getting my thoughts and my philosophies together before I present it to you in a, in a cogent manner that hopefully has a narrative arc that you can follow. But with this one, this was a a different podcast for me. So we're 93 podcasts in this one. I spent a whole lot of time thinking about what I would say, but not a whole lot of time actually prepping what I would say. And, And so to be clear, what I mean by that is I spent a lot of time. I spent several weeks thinking about this subject, but not specifically how I would address it with you all. But I've just spent time thinking about it, like marinating on in and around this subject matter. But then when it came time to put my notes together to get in front of you today, uh, you know, I didn't really put a whole lot of thought into it. I I put some thought into it, of course, because I, I want this to be valuable for you. But that's just something to kind of give you a little peek behind the curtain. 
as to kind of where my mindset's at. But the way I think I'm going to do this today is I'm going to present this in kind of two massive categories. So I kind of have some generalized issues that, that I wanted to bring up maybe, you know, about a half a dozen or so, maybe a little bit more of kind of just general issues about mass shootings. But then I want to kind of get into specifically issues with these shooters and how we can try and get some sort of a semblance of an understanding of what's happening here. And so I'm just going to go ahead and launch in here without any more fanfare. But in terms of the general issues, the very first thing, this is, is pretty obvious. This issue just has to be political, right? I mean, every time you see it, this just goes political immediately, right? I mean, Twitter, it was like a cesspool for two or three days. Like I'm getting on there trying to see stuff about fights coming up, trying to see stuff about, you know, baseball or just random funny things. But that this was on everybody's mind. And I'm not I'm not necessarily dogging the fact that there were a lot of people talking about it. Obviously, I'm talking about it. I want that conversation to continue happening. But gosh, it was just there was no one listening. Right. Everyone was just yelling. And so if you came out pro gun, uh, you know, you just got attacked. If you came out anti-gun, you got attacked from the other side. It was just kind of one of those things. But this this was a great opportunity for the Democratic presidential candidates to come out and basically just point their finger at everybody. Right. And so um, it's just one of those issues where and I know people have said this a lot before, but I mean, I think it bears repeating the the bodies are still, you know, still warm. Right. You know, some of the bodies haven't been fully processed yet, and yet we're already jumping on the narrative bandwagon. And that kind of gets me into the next thing is that narrative trumps everything. And, and that's all pun intended. Narrative trumps everything. And so if you're pro-gun, you've got your narrative, you run right to it. If you're anti-gun, you've got your narrative, you run right to it. And I guess now would be a good time to remind you for any of you that have not gone back and listened to episode 10 of this podcast, which I would urge you to do so, maybe before you listen to the rest of this podcast, I am very pro-gun, very much so pro-Second Amendment. I conceal carry. Uh, I, I try to make sure that all of my different weapon systems that I own, that I can be lethal with all of them and safe with all of them. I, I've got a gun right here by my right hand here in the studio. And it's just, it's one of those things that I, I'm very much on the pro side of this, but I'm also not somebody that sees something like this happen and thinks to myself, ah, nothing to see here. No problems here. I, I, because there's obviously problems. Now we need to start kind of unpeeling, you know, this, the, the problem and kind of getting to the core of what it actually is, but kind of getting back into talking about how narrative trumps everything. The thing about it is, is if, if the shooting that occurred doesn't fit perfectly into your narrative of your side, then you try not to talk about it. Okay. So, so a few examples here. So people on the right, I felt like we're almost giddy about the Dayton shooter because the Dayton shooter was an avowed socialist and Elizabeth Warren supporter. Um, he had talked, uh, interestingly a lot about, you know, gun control. And then he goes out and shoots up a bunch of people. Right. But then I saw people on the political left that were really, I mean, over their skis excited about the El Paso shooter because he was a white supremacist. Because they're like, great, we've got our narrative. You know, they've got their narrative. Trump's a racist. Trump's a white supremacist. Trump's an ethnocentrist, whatever the situation might be. And this guy's going out there spouting the same nonsense that we say Trump spouts. So this is perfect for our narrative. Our ratings are about to go through the roof. And guys, I'll be honest with you, Trump has been very clunky in his language at times with people that do align with kind of the white nationalist, very alt-right side of things. But a lot of people talk about what he said um, after Charleston 
whenever he said there were good people on both sides, that was a very clunky and very mismanaged statement by him. But in that same speech, like here, here I am, y'all are turning me into a Trump, Trump like defender, which I don't tend to be. But you, in that same speech, he completely disavowed people that were white nationalists in the same speech. But again, narrative trumps everything. Here's another thing you guys maybe didn't know about. About a week after the shooting that occurred in the El Paso, El Paso Walmart, there was another guy that planned to shoot up a Walmart in Missouri. But the guy was stopped by an off-duty firefighter that had his concealed carry and had a gun on him at the time. So I think it was a 20-year-old kid basically comes walking into a Walmart. Uh, he had like a bag. I think he had um, he had a rifle and he had a lot of ammunition. And this firefighter who basically lives left of bang and he's constantly looking around and he's a sheepdog. He basically gets this guy at gunpoint and gets him down until the police were able to show up. Did you hear about that? I bet you didn't. I mean, if you follow some, you know, more right wing sources, I'm sure you heard about that because it's a good guy with a gun stopping a bad guy with a gun. Did you hear it on CNN? Did you hear it on MSNBC? Did you, was it on the front page of the New York Times? I mean, you didn't see it because it's all about narrative. This subject, abortion, immigration, it's all about narrative. And if your narrative and your story doesn't fit, then they're not, they're not going to run with it. And another general issue that we kind of talk about is kind of the demonization of objects, right? Of inanimate objects, which is exactly what guns are. Guns are not evil, right? They, they can be used for evil, but they are not for evil. And I use this example all the time. If we were sitting across the table from one another and I set my gun on the table in between us, loaded, ready to go with the safety off, it's not going to jump up and shoot you. It can't do that. It doesn't have a mind of its own. It can't reckon. And so, you know, a Babylon B, I don't know if you guys follow them, but uh, you should follow them on Instagram and Twitter, Babylon B. They, they're basically satire. They're more kind of right wing Christian kind of satire uh, news, stuff like that. They basically said that, you know, there was one where they said, you know, the police showed up at this event and they, they arrested an AR-15, right? Because it's the AR-15 that's evil, right? Because a lot of people on the left that want to demonize guns, it's because they don't really like demonizing people, unless they're white nationalists, they'll hop all over that one. But they they just don't want to demonize people because people can't be bad, right? Because we're all very highly evolved monkeys and we evolved in order to be at peace with one another. If you listen to, you know, basically the four horsemen of new wave atheism, right? But we keep demonizing objects. But around the same time you saw this latest rash of mass shootings, There were mass stabbings in the United States that left multiple people dead. But you just don't hear people talking about how we shouldn't have knives. Not in America anyway, you hear that in the UK, but you you don't hear that here. But it's like, it's a thing. And I say this all the time too, way more people in the history of humanity have been killed with pointy things. You know, sticks, spears, knives, swords you know, gladius, like those types of things. They've been killed with those things, but we don't hear all these people in the streets yelling about how we should ban pointy things, right? Again, kind of goes back to narrative. I guess another thing that I've thought about a lot over the last several weeks is it's times like these that you realize people don't know crap about guns. I mean, they don't know anything about guns. And here's the thing, guys, I've told you this before. I did not grow up in a family that talked about guns, that shot guns. I knew there were guns in the home, but I never saw them. I certainly never went out and shot them. And so as an adult, I started learning about guns on my own. 
Like very, very basic, basic. One of my friends who is quite the gun collector, he basically set a bunch of guns out and he showed me single action and double action and, you know, semi-automatic and automatic. And he really broke it down in, into these different categories. And I mean, that was about 12 or 13 years ago. And I've just continued to learn along the way. But you hear people say these things in public or on Twitter, or on television or on podcasts. And it's like, ugh. Like, this isn't that hard to understand. Like, you don't ever have to have shot a gun before to understand the difference between a semi-automatic and an automatic. I mean, I'm listening to, uh, who was it? Brendan Schaub was on the Joe Rogan podcast, right? Again, this is supposed to be about MMA, but sometimes they veer off into other subjects. Usually it's about drugs or cars or something like that, but they got onto gun violence and Brendan Schaub is like, no one needs a semi-automatic weapon. Why does anybody need a semi-automatic weapon? And you could tell by the way he said it, he was thinking machine gun. And even if not, he was thinking that an AR-15 is like a machine gun. And it's not like that's a semi-automatic. He doesn't have the foggiest idea that almost every pistol owned by a person in the United States is a semi-automatic weapon, right? One trigger pull, one bullet. And so you just hear these things and it's like, oh, like it just, it just, it's like your brain's being split apart and it's just so frustrating and infuriating because part of the reason why you can't have debates on this is because most people are stupid on one side. And then this specific debate, it's usually the anti-gun people that are really, really, really ignorant about guns. But in this type of situation, it's like, look, we've got to define our terms, but we've also got to define our shared knowledge if we're going to have a, a very cogent and a very productive conversation on this issue. But people don't know anything about guns. It's really hard to do that. The next thing is it's, you know, I've thought about this a little bit, but the, the same people that want so desperately to decry white supremacist violence as any sane person would, me included, they, they tend to go silent in the wake of Islamic fundamentalist violence. And you know what, just for categorization purposes, let's not even talk about, you know, uh, Boko Haram or the Taliban or ISIS. Let's, let's not talk about that because some people kind of put that in a category by itself, right? They, they put that over there. I'm talking about just the random people that will scream Allahu Akbar in a coffee shop and then start stabbing people. I, I saw a video here recently, I think it was in uh, Sydney, Australia, where a guy was basically going around stabbing people. And then he started jumping on cars, screaming Allahu Akbar. And then he kept saying, shoot me in the face, shoot me in the face. I, I, it was kind of like a suicide by cop thing. And all these guys got together and they basically stopped and they put it. It was kind of weird. They put a bunch of chairs on top of them and they were like sitting on these chairs to basically, you know, they had de-armed the guy and then they had kind of gone, gone on with that. But when we see Islamic fundamentalist violence, we don't seem to hear the same cries from the same people. Like, why is that? Because to me, white supremacist violence is sinful and needs to be eradicated and stopped. And Islamic fundamentalist violence is sinful and it needs to be eradicated and stopped. Like, why can't you say both? Can, can two things be true at the same time? Is that possible? So that was interesting to me. Like we just, we see these voices get really, really loud when the narrative fits what they want. I guess you know, the theme of this podcast today could be narrative. But then the next thing I was thinking about is there's been a lot of entities and companies that have responded to this in just the dumbest ways possible. Like it's absolutely incredible. So there's a company here in Oklahoma where I work that I'm very, very familiar with. Um, and right after this rash of shootings, they sent out a memo 
right, to most of the managerial staff at this office, basically saying that they have a strict no guns in the office policy. Okay. And here's the thing. If you run your company and you would prefer guns not to be there and that's your thing, it's your company. Hey, that's your right to do that. But in your response to criminals going around killing innocent people, if in that response, your knee jerk reaction is let's make sure all the people that work here who are not in fact criminals, let's make sure that they have less of a chance to defend themselves. Let's make sure that the full smart, the, you know, the, the, what am I trying to say here? The, uh, force multipliers, there we go. The force multipliers are on the other side of the equation, on the evil side of the equation. Like really, these are really smart people that are coming up with some of the dumbest ways possible. Okay. So, cause here's the thing, guys, 98% of the mass shootings that have occurred in the United, United States since 1950 have occurred in gun-free zones. You dummies, come on. So making an office a gun-free zone does not make that office safer. I mean, you don't need a lot of paper to prove this. You give me one sheet and I can draw it out pretty quickly. It makes you all very much less safe. And so if you're a concealed carrier and you are in that office and now all of a sudden they are checking you every day to make sure that your gun's just in your car. Hey, hey, we're not saying you can't carry a gun. Just keep it in your car. What good does that do the people in that office if someone comes into that office intent to kill them? What good does that do them? What are they going to throw a stapler at them? My goodness. It's unbelievable. I, I don't understand it. But... You know, you have people that are anti-gun people or more leftist or more liberal. When something like this happens, it's a way that they can virtue signal. It's a way that they can, you know, make them feel good. Like, oh, you know what? These, these guns, we're just, we're going to get them out of the hands of everybody because these guns are so dangerous. But then the last thing I knew you guys were probably waiting on me to talk about this red flag laws. Okay. Red flag laws. So if you're not familiar with red flag laws, this is something that's kind of making the rounds right now and and even in conservative uh, circles republican circles but basically it's a way that you could petition the local government or the local judiciary if you feel like someone that you know right maybe your brother or your best friend or someone at work that you think is a harm to themselves or other people and they own guns that you could it's basically a temporary gun restraining order that the, the government can come in and intercede and take those weapons away for a period of time that's not been defined, but for a period of time until you cool off or they determine that you're able to own guns again or whatever the case may be. And there's a lot of hay being made in conservative circles about this, that people are actually on board with this. And I'm pretty sure if I went back to my podcast 10, that I talked about these types of laws and how in general, I liked the idea of that. But at the same time, there's a caveat, which is who exactly is determining who gets the guns and who doesn't, right? Because here's the thing is if I don't like somebody, like, why wouldn't I just go to the local government and petition them to take, take their guns away? Just to screw with them. Here's another thing. What if I know somebody and I really want to steal their crap, but I know they have guns. What inside of a red flag law would keep the government from being able to take those person's guns away, thus making it easier for me to break in and steal their crap? Like, what? That, that's the thing with these red flag laws is the biggest concern to me is right now people feel comfortable because red candidates have the Senate and we've got a red candidate in the White House. 
But would you be talking about red flag laws if it was blue across the board? Like it was when Obama was uh, first made president and he had the House and the Senate? Like, would, be, would we be okay with that? For pro-Second Amendment, pro-gun people, would, be, would we be okay with that? So I, I like the idea of red flag laws, but with a lot of grandiose ideas, once you start talking them out, the issues start rearing their ugly heads and it becomes very, very complicated very quickly. And so, to be honest with you, I would be surprised if there wasn't some sort of gun legislation that was passed in the United States. But if, if something is passed, it's really not going to stop these things from happening. So if you go from being able to have a 30-round magazine to only being able to have a 10-round magazine in certain states, it's not going to stop mass shootings. You know why? Because there are millions and millions and millions of 30- and 40-round magazines already in circulation. Right. If there's certain guns, if they go back to the assault weapons ban, right, that we had in the 90s, which did not curb violence with assault weapons at all, with assault rifles at all. If we go back to that, it's not going to stop anything because the most popular rifle in the United States is the AR-15. It's already in circulation. But here's the other thing. With a lot of these mass shootings and we start getting into a lot of different articles and a lot of different things like that with a lot of those types of things, people just don't understand the statistics. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link to an article later that I'll talk about. But basically, when you start getting into the statistics around guns, most of the gun deaths in the United States, like two thirds of the gun deaths in the United States are suicides, okay, which are tragic. But that's a coward taking the coward's way out and shooting themselves. Again, let me say it's tragic. It's horrific. I can't imagine what it would take for someone to get to that place. But that's the overwhelming majority of gun violence. And then you start getting into other, like one fifth of all gun violence and gun deaths in the United States are gang related. Again, tragic. I wish these people wouldn't do these things. These gangs of all colors, right? Of all races, of all types of people. And so we can't basically put all of these gun violence cases in the same category. A crazy lunatic loser walks into a Walmart and starts shooting people indiscriminately. That is very different than a gangbanger in Chicago driving by seeing rival gang members and shooting at them and killing them. They're not equivalent, right? These are all people that have the Imago Day. It is tragic in every single situation, but it's different. It is just very, very different. But again, most people don't know their stats. A lot of stats can be manipulated, and depending upon what entity it is, again, they're just going to play back into their own narrative. So again, guys, that kind of wraps up me talking about just generalized issues about these mass shootings, but now I want to get in and talk a little bit more about issues with the shooters. And so from the top, I want to go ahead and say this. Uh, don't expect me to come up with a, a way that this can all be fixed, Okay. Which, you know, if you're going to oppose something, you should be able to propose something. I, I kind of try to live by that mantra. And the thing is, is a lot of things that I'm about to talk about, I'm not saying that these are the issue. I'm saying that a lot of these things are contributing factors. Because I, I can, I can kind of hear some of the negativity and some of the responses that I'm going to get already. But the thing is, is a lot of people have been jumped on for making some of these similar arguments. But I'm just saying, if we look at all of these things individually, maybe they don't describe a negative outcome. But if we look at all of these things, you know, as a whole, as a, as a whole of a narrative, then maybe we can start figuring out ways to, to fix this. Okay. So one of the first issues, uh, and I think it's just a generalized issue, is just the internet. And no, I'm not an old curmudgeon. I'm not going to say, you know, cut off your internet and all those different things. But the thing about the internet 
if you think about it, in 2019, the internet is not just a thing that we do from time to time. We live in it. So when I think back to the first time I had the internet, which was seventh grade, we had a gateway computer and, you know, a friend of a friend built it for my parents, the, the computer that is, and we were able to get on AOL, right? And we had instant messenger and we had the 56K modem and the dial up and the whole, the whole nine yards. So what the internet was for me, for a lot of my life growing up, it was a thing that you went to and you farted around on for like 20 or 30 minutes and then you moved on with your life. Because you basically spent 15 minutes going to two different websites, you know, clicking from thing to thing. You couldn't really download anything at the time. There was no YouTube. There wasn't any of that. So it was a thing you did. You didn't live in it. And, and so for a lot of you guys out there that are into particular sports, you know, me with jujitsu or maybe you with golf or maybe you like playing pickup basketball, you don't live in it. That's still kind of a thing that you do, even if you do it a lot. But just think about how often you're on the Internet. I mean, for, for iPhone users, remember when you started getting those updates on your screen time? Like, did it kind of make you sick? And so for the kids that are growing up now, for a lot of these young males that are perpetrating these crimes, you know, you got to think these are people that have lived on the internet. The internet, internet seems real, but it's not. And I also was thinking about cyberbullying. So, you know, I think I was very normal in school in that, you know, I did a little bit of bullying and I got bullied as well. You know, I was a, I was a fat redheaded freckle faced kid, kind of an easy target. And so that, that's kind of one of those things where bullying was something that you could go home from. So if you got bullied mercilessly and I, and I'm just guys don't think that I'm trying to diminish bullying in any way, shape or form. I'm certainly not doing that, but let's just say you were bullied from before first hour until after the last hour of the day, all the way through lunch, you still got to go home. You got some sort of reprieve, right? And I know there's guys listening to this right now that were bullied mercilessly. And I'm so, so unbelievably sorry that that happened to you. It's, it's wicked and it's terrible. And I wish it wouldn't have happened. I hope it made you stronger. I hope you didn't pick up any bad habits along the way, but you know, it's a bad deal. But now in this internet culture that we live in, kids are going home and the bullying continues, if not intensifies. And so let's say you're the quiet kid. You're kind of the weird kid, maybe the goth kid. You know, you didn't play sports. You're not really that smart. You're kind of on the fringes. Well, you're going to get picked on at school and then you're going to go home. And if you get online, it's not going to stop. Like you don't get a reprieve if you get on Twitter or Snapchat or Instagram, like you just don't get a break from it. And so bullying can literally be a 24 seven cycle for people. I hear, I hear from guys that have daughters. It's absolutely horrific for their girls because maybe they kind of go on, go out a limb and do their hair a different way and go to school or they, they wear a different color that they, they weren't sure it looked good on them or not. And then they just get picked on at school. And then, you know, people will send them messages as soon as they get home saying that they should kill themselves because they wore the wrong sweater. Right. It's absolutely terrifying. But then the other thing I thought about with these shooters is video games. Okay. And so this has obviously been brought up before about the kind of ubiquitous nature of violent video games that we have, um, and, and kind of the glorification of violence inside of these video games. And I know a lot of people, as soon as you bring up video games in terms of its correlation to gun violence, it's like, well, there's not been, you know, any things that definitively prove that this guy played call of duty. And then he went out and shot people like on call of duty and all those different things. So you're not going to hear that argument from me. Okay, guys, you're, you're not going to hear that v video games lead to that. However, however, we have to be clear about something. Video games that are incredibly violent, they absolutely desensitize us to violence. 
There's no way around it. Because if you've never seen gore, and, and I'm talking the same thing, and so the desensitized the violence, that expands out into TV shows and movies as well, but even within video games. I mean, as a kid, you know, you're, you're playing Mario Kart or Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball or just, you know, something like that. And even Goldeneye, the kind of the first, uh, first kind of first person shooter that I can remember on the N64, like there was, there wasn't like a lot of blood and it was kind of hard to play and it was kind of, it was just fun. But video games now, video games that I play like Call of Duty, they're unbelievably violent, unbelievably violent. And so how could we say that a lot of these boys that are going out and perpetrating these shootings, a lot of these young men that are doing these shootings, how could we say that these violent video games didn't have an impact? There was one shooting that I heard about at a school where um, there was an, a, a firearms expert that came in afterwards and, you know, they're kind of surveying the scene. Um, and it was a especially horrific shooting. I think there were seven or eight students that were killed. They were all killed with headshots. So for those of you that aren't very familiar with guns, um, when you're practicing shooting, the silhouette that you're typically shooting at has rings starting in, in center mass. And when you're taught to shoot, you're taught to shoot people center mass and stop them. So when people are like, why'd you have to shoot him and kill him? Why couldn't you just shoot him in the leg? Because it's freaking difficult to do, you dummy. Pick up a gun and try it sometime. It's really difficult to shoot someone in the leg, especially if they're running towards you. Okay? But this kid had shot all these people point blank in their faces and killed them all. He said it was an unbelievable display of accuracy and marksmanship from a kid who prior to this shooting had never even shot his weapons. I think he stole his weapons from, from a family member. He had never shot these weapons. But if you've played these first-person shooter video games, your, your hand-eye coordination and things that, that can take place uh, especially in games where you're given extra bonus points for shooting somebody in the head or something like that, it absolutely aids in your ability to be able to perform and do that in real life. No, having a PlayStation controller in your hands and having a, a rifle in your hands is not the same thing. But if you've been desensitized to the violence and to watching the blood spray all over the screen and all over you and those things, if you're in the zone in that moment, how can we say that that doesn't have an impact? And again, I'm not saying that that's the reason why we have these mass shootings, but we have to look at, again, I'm going to keep coming back to this. We have to look at everything as a whole, like what direction is the world going in and why are we seeing more of these types of things? Like, why are the mass shootings getting bigger? Why are they seemingly happening more often? Okay. So another thing that I kind of, kind of getting off the desensitized to violence side of things is Kids don't really have an opportunity as they're growing up and developing now of conflict resolution in the way that maybe you grew up or your grandparents or your parents or something like that. You know, there's not a whole lot of communities right now where the kids play outside. Like I, I live in a community that's gated and, you know, just today there was, I saw a kid on a bike and it was so weird. I was like, what the heck is this kid doing in the street in the bike? Like that was my immediate thought. Whereas growing up, it's like, oh, look, there's like 17 kids that we drove by on this one street, just trying to get to our driveway, kids on bikes. You don't see kids playing outside a lot. And when kids play outside with one another without adult supervision, yes, they can get into trouble, but also, you know, they're going to play games where you know, they're creating rules, they're creating hierarchies, they're, they're doing all kinds of things. They're, they're learning how to have conflict resolution. 
like those types of things. Because one thing that we've seen as well is there's been this big push towards this pussification of society that we can't let kids fight anymore. Now, no, I'm not advocating for kids to be able to attack one another, but if two kids get into a disagreement and they need to figure it out, why wouldn't we let them fight? Like, like why not? Uh, again, just think about, you know, I've sat with my grandpa and there were stories and you've heard me talk about this before where it's like this kid's got a problem with that kid. They both have agreed that they want to figure this out. So the teacher would say, son, you grab a friend, other kid, you grab your friend, go down the road, figure it out. Don't come back in here until you got to figure it out. So they've each got someone that can hop in and help them and save them. If, if things get wrong, they go down the street, they get in the dust up, they come back and they might become best friends, but we don't see that now. Because fighting, oh gosh, we we just can't do that. I mean, we got to use our words, but you know, specifically, we can't use you know charged words. We 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 can't raise our voices. Like we've got to keep things very very calm, and let's keep it very very effeminate and feminine, and let's just talk through this. Some things talking, sometimes talking doesn't get it done. And again, I'm not advocating violence for children. I'm not advocating that you go out and poke a guy in his chest at the bar and you tell him you got something wrong with him and you want to go outside. I'm not advocating for those things. I'm just talking about we don't have kids playing outside. They're not learning how to do conflict resolution. Kids are fat. Kids are ridiculously fat. Their, their parents are stuffing nonsense down their throats. They're not outside working that nonsense off. They're inside playing Fortnite or farting around on their phone or looking at porn or whatever the situation might be. There's also just no outlets for their anger. I think that might be kind of the, the biggest issue that I'm finding right now, talking about these few things all at once while I'm trying to even work, in it out, work, at it, work it out in my brain at the moment, is there's no outlets for rage and anger and angst for kids. Because you have some kids that, you know, they get into football and they get into wrestling and they get into baseball and, you know, they just can't wait to, you know, smash the ball with their bat. And they, they just, they just want to get that, they just want to get that angst out. But most kids aren't doing that. There's a lot of communities where their sports programs are falling apart completely because these kids are like, why in the world would I go outside? It's a hundred degrees. Why would I go outside and sweat and play baseball when I've got baseball right here on my PlayStation? I can just do that right now. Why would I run around and do paintball when I can stay inside and play Fortnite on my Xbox? Why would I do that? And, and their parents certainly aren't encouraging to go, them to go outside. Their parents are sitting there. They're fat and stupid too. And it's kind of one of those situations where it's like, what do you do? As a society, what do we do? Because people love to define, hey, we're fatter than we've ever been. Okay, do you, do you want to advise us on how we can stop that? But my main concern is for these kids, that what are they supposed to do with all this anger? That will surely come, even for the kids that are, you know, nice and even keeled. What are we supposed to do with them? Do we have any idea? That's a big concern for me. That's why I love it. I love it when parents get their kids into real martial arts. So when they get them into, you know, kickboxing as a little kid or into jujitsu or into wrestling, like stuff like that. And I guess if you're going to do karate or Aikido or any of those nonsense martial arts or something like that, at least you're a kid and you're getting to kick, kick a bag and break a board that was already kind of broken, like whatever, who cares? But it's something, it's something to get your anger out. It's, it's just something to do. I mean, how many of you guys listening to this did not get in a single fist fight growing up as a kid? How many of you? Like, what did you do to get your anger out? And again, 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 I'm not advocating for violence amongst kids. I'm not saying, all right, make sure your kids get in a fight once a week. That's not what I'm saying. 
But what would push one of these killers that spent all this time getting bullied and playing these crazy video games and not really having friends and not really, you know, taking care of themselves physically? Like, what are they supposed to do? I guess another way that you could say this, and this is a societal problem as well, we don't have rites of passage. Talk about that a lot. At what point did you become a man? And who told you that? Did you just kind of think it up on your own? Did you just kind of figure it out on your own? Ah, guess I'm a man now. How did you know? Because you don't really see boys that had very involved fathers very involved grandparents, very involved friends, male friends of the dad in the life of that boy, doting on him, teaching him, instilling wisdom, giving them all kinds of knowledge in all these areas that would help them be a better person and a better man. You don't see someone that comes from that type of a background, someone that went through rites of passage and not because of some religious community. It wasn't, you know, because they were Orthodox Jews or something like that. You don't see those kids going around and shooting up places. You don't see it. Do you think there's possibly a correlation there? We don't have that. So I think that's part of it as well. Then you can also talk about psychotropic drugs. Like, this is not going to be a long podcast about psychotropic drugs, but it is absolutely astonishing the number of children in the United States that are on psychotropic drugs, that are changing the brain chemicals that they have. There are people that I know that are very close to me that have like three-year-olds, three-year-old boys that are, you know, just a little too rowdy and they put them on medication. It's like, they're a three-year-old boy. Like, what are they supposed to do? Like what? Like they're just being themselves. They're rotten little three-year-old human beings. You don't need to dope them up. And here's the other thing, with a lot of the mass shootings, especially school shootings, almost 100% of these boys were on psychotropic drugs. That's not to say that if your kid is on Ritalin, that he's going to go shoot up his school. Again, don't hear me saying things I'm not saying. I'm being very clear with you. But there is a correlation here. These, These kids are depressed. These kids have mental issues. And what we're doing is we're just jamming things down their throat, a lot of which things that haven't been fully vetted out and fully researched to understand what the long term ramifications of these drugs are. If you take them over the long term, we just jam it down their throat because we don't want to do the hard part for a lot of these kids. They just need to get physical. These kids need to exercise. There is a direct correlation between depression and people who are sedentary between mental problems and people that just sit around eating Cheetos all day. Again, you don't see a lot of kids that are highly involved and highly active and and going around and, and taking care of business in a lot of these areas. And even if they don't do and act out in these violent ways until they were older, we have to think about the environment that they were in as they were growing up. So I think these drugs have a lot to do with it. Then also we get into the, just the overall fatherlessness within society. You know, that kind of goes back to rites of passage, but you've seen this stark rise over the last several decades of households without the father in them. And yet we're blown away that we're seeing little boys act out in these ways. And even if these little boys are 25 years old, they're still little boys in their head because they didn't have a daddy around. They didn't have that strong male role model. Again, go back. How many of these Mass shooters, 
profile as a kid that was highly involved, had active parents in his life, was an active church life that wasn't on medication. How many of those do you see? Can you think of one? You know, the the all-star kid that all of a sudden just decided he wanted to shoot up his school or shoot up a store. We don't see it. And then I guess even a more macro issue would just be secularization overall. We've seen the West become very, very secular, especially in the last 10 years. But really, we've seen this gradual decline in any type of Judeo-Christian ethic. We're all in enjoying the positives of being under that Judeo-Christian ethic, again, when it's convenient for us. But we want everything to be secularized. And we're moving in that direction. We don't want God anywhere. We don't want prayer anywhere. Get your Bible out of here. Like, I don't want that nonsense. Is it possible? Is it, is it possible? Is it plausible? That in addition to all these things that I've talked about, right? So, you know, cyberbullying, the internet, and, you know, kids not playing outside and are getting desensitized to violence and just the overall pussification of society, no rights of passage, the drugs, the fatherlessness, all of that. Could that also be because of how secularized we are? Because fatherlessness inside of religious communities isn't as high in non-religious communities. It's still high, still awkwardly high, right? I talk about the divorce rates in the, in the church and outside the church are relatively the same. It's absolutely embarrassing. But again, the, these all kind of go in a certain direction. And as we get more secular, we're getting more violent, it seems. How is that possible? And again, guys, no one knows how to fix this. So don't get it twisted. Even if you're listening to this, which I don't know why, if you're a leftist, if you're 41 minutes in here with me, I, I doubt you, you're, you're still hanging around. But if you are, none of the candidates you support know how to fix this. Right. Yeah, I said it. Bernie Sanders can't fix it. Kamala Harris can't fix it. Elizabeth Warren can't fix it. Joe Biden certainly can't fix it. None of these people know what they're doing. And here's a trick. Got, got a little insider information for you. No one knows what they're doing on the other side either. These are just slightly smarter, slightly richer adults than you. They're not going to fix it. When people come out and say, well, in my first hundred days, I'll give Congress the time to act. And then if they don't do it, I'm going to do an executive order and we're going to blah, 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 whatever the thing is. It's not going to fix it. It's not going to fix it. We will not be able to prevent all of these shootings. We won't. And don't give me that. Well, if we can just prevent one, it's worth it. If we can prevent one shooting, then you start, I don't really want to get into the, you know, into the unitary or the, anyway, I don't really want to get on that side of things. But the thing is, guys, and and this is kind of where I wrapped up the last podcast as well, is Satan is real. The dark forces on this planet, they're real. Evil will always find a way. And yes, I am for things that could curb evil. But at the same time, I'm a sheepdog and I train to be one. And if the things that you say are going to infringe on my ability to be able to defend myself and my loved ones and to push back darkness in the process, I'm out. I'm out on it. And again, guys, this isn't a, a, you know, this isn't a sermon. This isn't something where I'm going to like bust out. And this is the scripture that proves my point. Like this, that's not coming, right? But Satan's real. And you have a bunch of people on the political left that don't know anything about guns, that just want your votes. They will say anything to get into power or to stay into power. And a lot of these people don't believe in Satan. They don't believe in evil. They think we're just highly evolved monkeys. 
So what is their reasoning for wanting to substantiate evil? They'll use words like evil, but they don't have the foggiest idea what it means, and they're certainly not spending any time thinking about where it comes from. And so, again, like I said, there, there wasn't going to be some grandiose finish to this podcast. It's just kind of one of those deals where I literally just sat down and started writing. And I'm like, I feel like all these things have, have something to do with it. And again, I still support the Second Amendment. I still support people's rights to be able to defend themselves and their property. I absolutely, uh, I, I am that person. But at the same time, I'm not excited when I see things like this happen. Like in Gilroy or Dayton or El Paso or Chicago or any, anywhere else. And for people to say that because I'm pro-gun that I like when these things happen or that the blood is somehow in my hands, it's egregious, it's gross. And I know not everyone listening to this is, a, is you know, thinks the same way I do about the Second Amendment. But that's the thing, guys, is if we're going to get together and if we're going to have discussions on this issue, we have to know what we're dealing with. This isn't about the guns. This isn't just about the guns. This isn't just about fatherlessness. This isn't just about kids not playing outside. This isn't just about kids being fat. It's much bigger than that. We've got an enemy that is going to continue to infiltrate people and encourage them to do these horrific things. So we've got to pray. We've got to be in the fight and push back darkness ourselves. And we've got to get after it in those ways. So again, don't have this grandiose ending for you guys. Wish I did. I wish I had the answers, but I don't think any of us do. All right, guys, before we let you go, we're going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now, we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing content like this podcast that helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So today I've got a couple of resources for you. So one is an article that was very, very surprising, a very, very interesting read. It's back from 2017, but the name of the article is, I used to think gun control was the answer. My research told me otherwise. So this is by Leah Labresco. And uh, surprisingly, this is from the Washington. Washington Post. Okay. So not National Review, not the Daily Wire, like not Fox News from the Washington Post. Not exactly a bastion of a pro-gun thought going on over there. But basically, this is a statistician and a former news writer uh, from 538 that basically is she's a data person. And when she started getting into the data about gun violence, uh, it didn't really fit all the narratives that people like the Washington Post were spouting. So I think that's an interesting read for you guys. And then for some of you guys that are a little bit more interested in the Second Amendment, you pro-gun folks, uh, there is a Stephen Crowder video. Again, every time I give you something from Louder with Crowder, I have to tell you, no, I don't support everything he's ever said or done. Some of the things he does are funny. Some of the things he does are ridiculous. But this was a thing that he did. Uh, It was a Second Amendment American masterclass with a historian named David Barton. And so it's like a 30, I can't remember, 20 or 30 minute video where they're basically talking about the Second Amendment. They're talking about a lot of history around that, around guns and different things. And so for those of you that are interested in something like that, I think it's informative. Even if you're not interested in the second amendment or guns, this is going to be informative to you. Cause even if you disagree with the fact that we should be able to own guns, this is going to give you the information uh, that will kind of give you an idea as to why we even have them in the first place. All right, guys, thanks a lot for listening to the podcast. As always, really do appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or Google Play, or anywhere else where you get your podcast and refer your friends to listen. Guys, if you share this on social media, use the hashtag UndauntedLife. We'll be sure to find the post and give it a thumbs up. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please leave us one. Just take about 30 seconds to do that and let us know why you like the content. 
I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the remainder of 2019 and all of 2020. So if you want me to come speak at your men's event, on your podcast, to your team, whatever, just hit me up, email info at undaunted.life, I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro or outro track on this podcast is our song King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>